So I'm curious, how many of you have uh, heard of uh, Thanksgiving called by the name Turkey Day? Has anyone ever heard that before? Okay, of course, many of us have heard that. How about Tea Day? For, for whatever reason, Tea Day is the, is the name I, I have heard it or in my head. It seems like I've heard it more often that way, heard it as Tea Day. And um, uh, because I wasn't sure what was more common, sometimes I do this, I asked Google who knows all. And so I, I have a chart here that shows, um, uh, it's, it's kind of hard to see, but there's a blue line that's kind of uh, steady and maybe falling a little bit. That's Tea Day. And um, recently, in the last couple of decades, you can see Turkey Day has really taken a, a climb up. And I'm not sure why that, why that would be, why Turkey Day is kind of uh, replaced uh, or, or challenged and, and seems to be replacing uh, Tea Day. But my guess is it's probably a combination of factors. My guess is when you're writing, it's easier to do Tea Day because it's, you save all those letters, right? Um, and, um, and I think nowadays we also have the problem of what is the T for? You know, we've got turkey, of course. Uh, we've got, you know, a broiler, a boiler, uh, what do you call it? A fryer fire, you know, if you see the, the fail videos on YouTube. Um, so I don't even know if that has a T, you know, a trauma unit um, or something. Um, uh, but then you've got things like tofurkey and turducken and so forth. So so people have got more things that the T could stand. So for maybe they're just trying to, to be unambiguous. No, it's actually Turkey Day we're going to celebrate. So I think that's one reason. But I think honestly, another reason is that is that people uh, don't know exactly what to do about Thanksgiving. Um, you know, as our culture dechristianizes, uh, people aren't sure exactly how to relate to you know Uncle Fred, who's an avowed atheist or whatever. And it's like, what what do I do? What do I call it? You know, in the invitation when I invite him over, uh, do I say Thanksgiving? Um, because Fred's probably got some things he could be thankful to people for, but. But maybe there are things that Fred should be thankful for that are really just attributable only to God. And so I'm not sure exactly how to negotiate that. So if I bring up Thanksgiving, then that invites the question, who am I thanking? And so I think maybe it's just this reticence to kind of, you know, there'll be plenty of time for arguments during Thanksgiving. I don't have to start one with the invitation. So so maybe that's part of the reason. But um, uh, Thanksgiving has this kind of mixed character. There's the feast and then there's the Thanksgiving. And um, uh, I think that that's a good thing. Um, I think both of those are what God intends. And I'm going to talk about Thanksgiving on Tuesday. I'm at the, the Thanksgiving service down at uh, Gloria Day Lutheran. I'm going to talk specifically about Thanksgiving and why we do it and what's good about it. But today I'd like to just talk about the feasting part. Because I know that for whatever reason, Christianity has has gotten a bad rap Um as as an ascetic religion that that God loves you more the more miserable you are so and you know we know that that's not true but but for whatever reason the culture sometimes um, has got that picture H L Mencken I think it was or maybe Mark Twain said that Christians look like they have been uh, weaned on lemons so you know just kind of walking around like that all the time. Um, or uh, uh, in, in my in my younger days, there was a song by Billy Joel who said uh, that he would rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are just more fun. And I think that there is this kind of uh, idea that somehow if you're not miserable, then you're not a good Christian. And that is that is simply not the case. That is not um, what our faith teaches. Uh, we we believe that there are times when it is appropriate to fast, but. Uh, generally, God wants us to celebrate, to be people of feasting. And 
Uh, famously, Jesus, uh, the critics of Jesus said that he was a, a wine bibber and a glutton. Um, he was he was talking about uh, John the Baptist, how John the Baptist came, and John the Baptist had a special ministry. He was a prophet, and part of the prophetic ministry was he wore weird clothes. He lived out in the desert, kind of like a hermit, and he ate bugs and wild honey. And people said anybody who would do that must be crazy. They said he has a demon. But then Jesus came along and did none of that. Jesus came along and he enjoyed a good party just like anybody else. And they said, the Son of Man um, came, uh, what does it say? Uh, he says, the Son of Man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks. And you say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. So Jesus was saying, you, you want it both ways. But what that tells us is that the reputation Jesus enjoyed in his era was one of somebody who enjoyed a good party. And in fact, famously, his first miracle was at a party. He was at the wedding at Cana, and uh, they ran out of wine. So, you know, it probably wasn't the first five minutes of party that they ran out of wine. But they ran out of wine, and Jesus' mother came to him and said, they've run out of wine, and Jesus said, it's not my time. And she said, you know, all right, I won't order you around because you're the Messiah, but I'll just order the staff to do whatever you say. So the staff basically are standing there, what do you want? And he says, okay. And Jesus changes the water into wine. So Jesus didn't have this ascetic lifestyle, and he doesn't command us to. And in fact, in that way, Jesus is very much a part of what the, Juda, uh, the, the, the Judaism that his faith sprang out of. So the Jewish, the Jewish religion has one day of fasting. It's the Day of Atonement, and it's a solemn day. People fast. But it has three feast, uh, three festivals, each of which is a week long. So uh, the you know th- whatever twenty one to one. So so uh, that is that is the way that the Jewish religion thinks about the appropriate relationship of feasting and fasting. Jesus said, "When you fast, he said there will be occasions when you fast. Yes, do. But that's not a lifestyle. We're not to live a lifestyle of fasting." We are called actually to be people of feasting, far more than fasting. And what I want to do is I want to look at a passage from the Old Testament because it gets at some of some of the issues around this um, that maybe help help us to uh, grapple with this misconception so many people have about about the um, the nature of the faith and whether we're supposed to be. Um, uh, frowning and looking unhappy all the time. So, um, uh, what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at this passage from the 30th chapter of Second Chronicles. It's pretty long, and more than that, there's a lot of backstory that we're going to skip. So, there's like you know several chapters of what's been going on in the life of the people of God up to this point. So, just kind of to to sketch that out very quickly um, to understand this story well, we have to remember that uh, the Holy Land had been at one time, several centuries earlier, it had been two country, uh, one, one country, one kingdom, and it was just called Israel. But after King David and King Solomon had ruled for over this united kingdom, uh, uh, Solomon's son was not as wise as his father, and there was a civil war, and the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom split apart. The southern kingdom was called Judah because that was all the, the region that was associated with the land, uh, the, the people of Judah. Um, everything else became the northern kingdom. So the, the country of Israel, uh, there was ten different tribes that were associated with that. So the names we heard, Zebulun, uh, Issachar, Asher, 
um, Manasseh, Ephraim, all those other names we heard are part of the northern kingdom of Israel. So I'm just going to call them the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. But what is going on here is uh, during that time frame when there are two countries, northern and, and southern kingdom, but it's worse than that because there's a third country called Assyria, and it is in the process of conquering the northern kingdom. We don't know exactly what year this Passover we're going to read about happened, but it was sometime very close to 722 B.C., which is when the northern kingdom was conquered. So it was within a couple of years either way, and scholars actually are debated debate whether this was before or after the conquest. But for whatever reason, Hezekiah, who is a good king, he comes to the throne. His father, Ahaz, was a bad king, and Ahaz had um, introduced all kinds of pagan ceremonies into the life of the people of God. He'd put up uh, altars where people would burn incense and do all kinds of things that were prohibited by the law. And one of the first things that that um, Hezekiah does when he becomes king is he says, enough of that. And so back in chapter 29, he has cleaned out the temple. So he's cleaned out the temple. He's gotten rid of all of the, the things that had profaned it. And now we're ready to pick up our story here. So there's a crisis going on. There's a country that's being gobbled up nearby. Um, and uh, uh, Hezekiah knows about that. He knows that that country... Um, like his own, is suffering because they have abandoned the worship of God. So what does he do? So we pick up the story in chapter 30, and it says, Hezekiah now sent word to all Israel and Judah, so the northern and the southern kingdom, and he wrote letters of invitation to the people of Ephraim and Manasseh, so again, the northern kingdom. And he asked everyone to come to the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem. He tells the people in the northern kingdom, come south, come to our ancestral uh, the, the site of our ancestral religion in Jew- Jerusalem, we're going to have a national day of celebration. So the Passover is kind of like Christmas and Easter and the 4th of July and, you know, every other good holiday, all just kind of crammed into one. It's, it's the holiday for Jews at this time. And he says, come down here. We know you haven't been celebrating this this properly in the past, but there's no time like the present. You've got this thing going on in your own country. We've got problems of our own. Let's celebrate how good God is. So that's that's what he does. He asks everyone to come and celebrate the Passover of the Lord. And the king and his officials and um, all the community decide to celebrate Passover a month later than usual, which is kind of shocking because Hezekiah has just spent the previous chapter purifying the temple. He said, our problem is we got off the rails, right? We went off the rails. We forgot what it was God wanted us to do. And we have been disobeying the word of the Lord. But we're going to get right on it now. We're going to start obeying the word of the Lord. And we're going to start that by disobeying the word of the Lord. He says we're going to have it at the wrong time. We're going to celebrate Passover a month later than usual. Why? Why would you do that? He says they were unable to celebrate it at the prescribed time because not enough priests could be purified by then and the people had not yet assembled in Jerusalem. So the problem is... The priests, maybe they were just beaten down by the by the previous administration. Maybe, you know, they just said, well, what's the point? Um, or maybe they were actually active participants in the idol worship and so forth. But for whatever reason, the priests have said, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. You know, you know, meet the new boss, same as the old boss, I don't I don't buy it. And they hadn't purified themselves. But then the people um when the people start arriving, as we'll see, they still haven't done that. So they said, well, let's just push it out a month. 
So the plan seemed good, and they sent this proclamation all over from um, Beersheba in the southern, the, the southernmost part of the of the land, up to Dan, way up at the northern end of the northern kingdom. So they invited everyone to come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover of the Lord, the God of Israel. And then it says this, the people had not been celebrating it in great numbers as required in the law. And this is a place scholars actually debate, what does that sentence mean? Some people say that not many people had been celebrating it. But other people say, well, there were people who did and there were people who didn't, but they hadn't been celebrating it together. They hadn't come together in a big festival throng. They hadn't been celebrating it in great numbers as required by the law. So um, there's a debate over exactly what that means, but for whatever reason, Hezekiah is going to say, well, we're going to fix that. We're going to start celebrating it, a lot of people, all together. So the king sends runners, and then there's a long speech that, that I skipped in the program, um, uh, what, what the runners say. And the runners go all over the place. They go from Ephraim and Manasseh as far as the territory of Zebulun. And a lot of people say, what are you kidding? This is no time for religion, right? We've got Assyria is going to conquer us or maybe already has conquered us. The last thing we've got right now, I've got plenty of headaches. I'm not going to go have a festival someplace. That's crazy. But some people humble themselves and they go to Jerusalem. And at the same time, God's hand was on the people of the land of Judah, giving them all one heart to obey the orders of the king and his officials. So if you've ever seen church conflict and you wonder where does that come from, um, it says it takes God's special action to prevent it. So um, it's just normal people. That's what we do. We get into arguments. And it says, but in this case, God's hand was on the people to give them uh, one heart to obey the orders of the king. So a huge crowd assembles at Jerusalem in mid-spring to celebrate the festival of unleavened bread. First thing they do is they clean out all the pagan altars from the town. Now, Hezekiah has already cleaned up the temple, but there's still pagan altars and so forth all over the town. So they pick them up and they dump them into the ravine on the east side of Jerusalem, the Kidron Valley. So that's the end of the pagan pagan um, uh, worship, at least for the life of Hezekiah. And then on the 14th day, so we're picking up now in verse 15, on the 14th day of the second month, one month later than usual, the people slaughtered the Passover lamb. This shamed the priests and the Levites who had not purified themselves. So they said, I'll believe it when I see it. You know, if this ever comes to pass, then we'll worry about me being purified, right? And then the crowd showed up. It's like, oops. So they purify themselves. The priests and the Levites purify themselves now that the people have shown up. And they took their place at the temple, um, and the Levites brought the sacrificial blood to the priests who then sprinkled on the altar. And uh, they did this these uh, appropriate sacrifices. But that left the people. Uh, particularly the people from the northern kingdom. It's been two centuries since their country broke apart from from Judah. Maybe once in a while some pilgrim would go to Jerusalem, but mostly they didn't. Mostly they celebrated at their own idols, um, at their own uh, worship centers in the northern kingdom. They have no idea what they're supposed to do. You know, my father's grandmother told me, you know, before she died that they used to do, you know, nobody has a clue what to do. So they show up, they're not purified. Well, what do you do? You've invited them to this party. Now, at this point, you have to make a decision. Do you say, sorry, but you're not clean? You know, glad you came. Come back next year. Be clean then, and you can be part of next year's celebration. So that's that's the choice they're offered. But instead, it says, the Levites had to slaughter their Passover lamb for them to set them apart for the Lord. 
Most of those came from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun. They hadn't purified themselves. But King Hezekiah prayed for them. Why did he, what, what, you know, think about that. The king says, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, they're, they're in violation of the rules. We've been bending rules all day long. He says, he says, this prayer. May the Lord, who is good, pardon those who decide to follow the Lord, the God of their ancestors, even though they are not properly cleansed for the ceremony. And the Lord listens to Hezekiah and heals the people. And then they have their party. The people who were present celebrated um, for seven days. Um, the Levites and priests sang to the Lord, accompanied by loud instruments. I love verse 22. Hezekiah encouraged all the Levites regarding the skill they displayed um, as they served the Lord. And I've just wondered, is he saying, is he saying, um, that's great, keep it up, or is he saying, yeah, I know you're a little rusty, but it'll come back to you. You know, so I, I don't know how he's encouraging them, but he encourages them. And the offerings were sacrificed, the people gave thanks, and then the entire assembly decided to continue the festival for another seven days. Have you ever been at a Thanksgiving um, a meal, you know, family, friends, and it's kind of like you're watching the watch, you know, it's like, you know, if I get home, I can still catch the game, or, you know, you're, it's like, you've had enough of Uncle Charlie, right? You know, and you're just ready to go. They continued their celebration an entire extra week, okay, because they enjoyed it so much. The amazing thing about Hezekiah is how many rules he broke in the process of reestablishing the proper rule-oriented worship of God in Jerusalem. You know, of all the characters in the Old Testament, Hezekiah, more than anyone else, reminds me of what we see in Jesus. If you remember, what was Jesus criticized for? Jesus criticized because he hung out with the wrong kind of people. Jesus loved tax collectors. Jesus uh, had went to their parties. Jesus ate and drank with tax collectors and sinners because Jesus knew God's heart. And Hezekiah, more than anybody in the Old Testament, I think gets that idea that, that God wants his people to be happy, not to be uh, feeling anxious or upset about their lack of, of qualifications, but thankful for what a good God they serve. So Hezekiah says, we're going to do this a month late. It's not in the book. We're not allowed to do that, but we're going to do it anyway. He says, you're not purified. You're not allowed to eat the Passover. That's okay. We're going to do it anyway. It's supposed to be one one week long. It says right there in the book, one week long. We're going to make it two. Hezekiah keeps the main thing the main thing. Hezekiah doesn't let the letter of the law interfere with his celebration of what the law's spirit commands. And that's what Christianity believes about feasting, is that we are called to be people of celebration. So on Thursday, enjoy Thanksgiving, either in your own house or with somebody else. If you don't have somebody to celebrate Thanksgiving with, ask me, and I will try to find you somebody who you can have Thanksgiving with. Because Thanksgiving is designed to be a celebration for a lot of people coming together to enjoy one another's company. If you've already got people coming to Thanksgiving, if you're, you've, you've made your plans, you know how many seats there's going to be, you, you've got that all figured out. Let me, 
encourage you to look at the one thing Hezekiah did with the strangers, the people who came from the north. They haven't been purified. They are ill at ease. They don't know the rules. You know, you've been to a party where you didn't know which fork was for which, right? You know, which course or whatever. They hadn't purified themselves. They didn't know the rules. Look for people like that. Look for people who are ill at ease. Because maybe they're not strangers. Maybe they're just strange. You know, Uncle Charlie is strange. Let's face it. Okay. And look for ways you can accommodate them. What can you, how can you bend over backward to make them welcome in your Thanksgiving celebration? Because in doing so, you honor the spirit that Jesus lived out, the spirit that Hezekiah got this glimpse of seven centuries before the time of Christ. To be people who welcome the stranger. And of course, that's ultimately the application for us as a church. Not just on Thanksgiving, but year in and year out, week in and week out. I saw a statistic that said 91% of Americans believe in God or a universal spirit. So 91% have a belief in a God. There's only 9% of the public in America who have no faith in a higher power of some kind. But of that 91%, you know how many people actually go to church? Out of that, sorry, out of the hundred, out of, out of a hundred percent, out of all the people in America, less than forty percent attend church more than monthly. So more than once a month, less than forty percent of people attend church. So there's fifty percent of people who have a belief in God, but for whatever reason haven't found a church where they can find a home to worship God. So I would ask us, as people of faith, as people who stand in the tradition of Jesus and of Hezekiah, to say, what can we do? What rules can we break? What purification can we overlook in order to include the stranger and the strange into our celebration? Let's be people like Hezekiah. Let's ultimately be people like our Lord and Savior Jesus. Let's welcome the stranger. Let's celebrate. Let's pray. Heavenly God, we thank you that you do not call us to live um, ascetic lives, that we're not called to be miserable and unhappy every day. Lord, there is enough pain and suffering in this world. We know that there are times when fasting is appropriate. But we give thanks, Lord, that you are God who has blessed us and given us the opportunity to feast. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us to feast well. Help us to have eyes like Hezekiah, to look for, look for ways to honor the spirit of the law rather than the letter, to welcome the stranger and to welcome the strange. We pray it all through Christ our Lord. Amen.